Welcome to the podcast. My name's Ian. And my name's Tony, and this is Tennis Today. All right, Tony, it is really shitty weather here. How about you? <laughs> um, It's not bad, but it's just too wet to play, basically. It's just been kind of like a light rain uh, that, yeah, just, you know, nothing hard, nothing, no wind or anything like that, but just another day off, basically. Ugh. Well, do you... You're on the court all the time for work stuff. Do you do you celebrate when you get like a day or two off, or are you like me and you're just like seasonably depressed like right away? Um, I like to work. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to work. Um, but uh, no, I mean actually today's kind of a like a forced day off, but I think much needed. Yesterday, I think I played like six and a half hours of tennis. Like some of it lessons, some of it just kind of for fun. And like my lessons were like playing hitting sessions. So, mm. uh, a forced day off, but I think, uh, my body's going to thank me for this. Yeah. We, well, <laughs> we're for the first time in like 48 hours, I think it's not downpouring here. Um, wow. it's been, yeah, it's been like really raining. You know, we had those rains, uh, the, the rainstorm like a week or two ago, this has been like heavier and more constant up here at least. Oh, wow. Yeah, but so I got a good session of tennis in um, on Saturday morning. We did like three hours straight of hard live ball. Like, oh nice. My legs were like beat at the end of it. I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta abuse my body and get as much tennis in now as possible. But nice. um, when it rains like this for two, three days, like I'm, I'm, I'm fucking depressed. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I need to get on the tennis court. I'm just like, what yeah. the hell? Yeah, I definitely like, I feel that too. Cause it's just like, it's such a big part of my life every day. And it's just like having it like just taken yeah. away. And it like, maybe for a day, it's kind of cool where it's like, all right, you know, I'll chill, go to the movies. But after like last time when it rained for like four days in a row, it's like, damn, I, I don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> I mean, especially, especially in the winter when it's dark so much earlier, like, Last night, I felt like such a loser. I was like, well, you could do anything, but you're just going to end up sitting on your phone, which is mostly what I did. And <laughs> I like, yeah. I went through and I had to like set time limits on all my, my apps. I was like, okay, you got to stop this. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. We, we have a time change coming up. It's like 20 some odd days now. Oh, okay. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's thankfully. Good. Yeah. I, yeah. I, how do you do under lights? I don't do well. Uh, playing tennis? Yeah. Um, it, yeah, not great. I like I hate indoor tennis. I'll just say that now. Like I <laughs> hate indoor tennis. My girlfriend's in Montana right now and she, you know, it's dead winter. It's single digits and she sent me a picture of some indoor courts right by the airport that she's at. And, you know, not to like be like dismissive, but I was like, I hate indoor. <laughs> so I, I hate those yeah. lights. I hate like the halogen lighting and the, um, the, the, the sounds of an indoor tennis court light, you know, and the lights yeah. in there. And then like night tennis, like, I don't, I like playing night tennis, but I definitely, my eyes don't do well under the lights as much. Like, I, I feel like I lose track of the ball a little bit. Yeah, same. I, I struggle. I guess it depends on where you're at and like the quality of lights. But I, I think at my club, it's decent. And I still like it takes me a little bit of time because I'm just like, ah, so yeah, that I'm when you're out there, the change when you're out there during, you know, in the evening, you know, in the day, and then it starts to shift into night and you have to flip the light switches on uh, I, that like adjustment period is so bizarre. You kind of feel like things are kind of like, in, not like slow motion, but you're like, you're tracking the ball with your eyes and you're like, <laughs> oh, this feels weird. Like I feel drunk or something. Yeah. 
yeah, if it's if it's like if I'm playing like a match, I'm just going high and deep over the net. I'm just like good yeah. luck, good luck yeah. tracking this. I'm gonna yeah. rush the net after this ball. <laughs> yeah, well, I know we probably are annoying the hell out of everybody that lives in climates where it's not sunny and warm 99% oh, of the time. Yeah. You know, sorry <clears throat> to all those uh, Portland. Comment. Yeah, exactly. You see that? Yeah. I, I got a salty comment on a meme about the rain. It's like, no one feels sorry for you. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry to all of the uh, Pacific Northwesterners, uh, you know, anybody from Portland and Seattle. But, um, yeah, I can't deal with this rain. We've got like two or three days of it here, and I'm just losing my mind. It's all, it, We're like one, two days yeah. in, and I'm losing it. So <laughs> Yeah, spoiled. Definitely. Yeah, definitely spoiled. We pay for it, though. Certainly do. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the rundown of today's show, um, we're going to go through the news from the week like we usually do, including more coaching changes that happened, um, some talk about one-handed backhands and whether or not they're still going to be around in a few years, uh, wow. debate over wild cards. I got a couple messages about this. It's something that we talked about a couple episodes yep. ago in the podcast, but um, continues to be a topic. Um, and then, yeah, we'll go through the results over the last week. Um more specifically, you know, we, we waited to record this because the Del Rey tournament just ended just about an hour or two ago um, where uh, uh, Taylor Fritz beat Tommy Paul. And it just kind of had me thinking with all these tournaments with the American men, we're kind of in a place where it's like, I just had the question, you know, who's the best American player right now? And so we're going to talk about that and talk about some of uh, some other things, some other categories, like, you know, who's going to be the next one to win a Grand Slam, stuff like that. Um, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to talk about here. Um, and yeah, we're going to go through all that today. Uh, but first, Tony, uh, I'm dying to hear about the story with the hat because you got on, on <laughs> camera and I saw the, the Mario hat and I was dying. <laughs> yes. So uh, I'm not wearing like the classic Mario style hat, but it's just a baseball cap with a good M on it. Um, so uh, have you ever played a Calcutta? Been at a tennis club, played in a Calcutta tournament? No, I have no idea what that is. Oh, it's amazing. So basically you take, let's say my club, for example, this is how we run it, where They'll separate into maybe nine, ten teams, and they'll take every level of player. So there'll be a line one to like a line seven or eight based on however many people play. And there's like, you know, team captains are decided or selected or whatever. And then there's like a draft, basically. And you pick, you know, there's all the name, the line one names in a hat, and it's mixed doubles. So you pull out names, basically. And those are the players that you get. And like I said, it's like, line one to line seven so you have like a lot of the matches go down to like you know the three five players which is actually really funny but anyway so um each usually in a calcutta it's either music themed where there'll be like team like yacht rock versus punk or whatever <laughs> last it, it's kind of yeah it's kind of fun and like you, you'll get into like costumes and it's a whole it's a great thing to kind of blend levels at the club together because most of the like 5-0 players play with 5-0s they don't really interact too much with like uh, other players or even play mixed but anyway so I was captain and the uh, the theme of like uh, you know the teams was movies and you know I love movies I could have chosen any but I was like you know what if I go because Super Mario Brothers came out uh, what last year not sure. a great movie but i was like you know what uh that's an easy one to get for any of my team members to get on board with there's so many potential things that they could do or wear so 
as captain, I figured I would might, might as well anoint myself as Mario. So nice. there's that. Uh, and then also to tie in, my very first like tennis experience, if you can call it that, I had a Game Boy. And I don't know if you ever had a Game Boy, but they had Mario Tennis on Game mm. Boy. And that was, I, that was the first time I ever played tennis or had any interest. It was something like my mom works uh, Southwest Airlines, lost and found. A Game Boy came up with a bunch of games. So I was kind of like just going through the games. All right, I guess I'll play Mario Tennis. I had no interest in tennis. But anyways, I played the hell out of that game and I loved it. And that was years before I ever stepped on a court. So anyways, uh, shout out to Mario and Mario Tennis on Game Boy. Nice. Did, did you ever see or did you ever play? I think Yannick Noah had like a Game Boy, Nintendo no. Game Boy game. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. It's it looks wow. it looks uh, bad, awesome, but bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. What have you got going on? Today? Yeah, I got. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. All good. I I'm wearing a hat from Museum of Peace and Quiet today, which is um, a brand down in L.A. I think they just opened up a flagship kind of close by you, maybe Manhattan Beach. Um, But yeah, big, big fan of theirs. I like their stuff. There's nothing tennis related about it. Um, But, you know, I do. uh, They kind of are going for the, um, you know, uh, spiritual, more uh, meditative themed uh graphic design and stuff and and i you know i always uh, try to talk about the mental side of tennis a lot so um yeah i don't know big fan of the hat um big fan of peace uh, and quiet as well is there an actual museum of peace and quiet or is that just like the name of the brand yeah well okay my understanding and i i haven't really uh read into it too much but i think Mm -hmm. they're opening up like a hotel like airbnb type situation that's going to be this like beautiful meditative space um and they're calling oh, it the cool. museum. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's open. I think maybe it is. I'm not sure. I don't follow the brand that closely. I mostly just buy the merch. So <laughs> yeah, it's a good hat. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Um, all right. We're well, getting into some of the random news of the last week. We talked about coaching changes. Um, and just like that, a few days go by and there's another big coaching change. This time in the top 10 in the women's side, you have uh, Maria Sakari parting ways with her coach, Tom Hill. After six years, I got in my notes here because you brought this up last episode, <laughs> the Netflix coaching curse. Uh, first, yep. it was the Netflix curse of the players getting eliminated early. Um, now, uh, a lot of the coaches are not making it and, um, yeah, so they part ways after six years and soccer is one of those where the storyline has been somebody who just hasn't been able to get over, uh, get over the hump. Yeah. Um, maybe I know a lot of the comments were like, well, this was the most obvious one to come, but I don't know. They were together for so long and obviously she's been, she's a top 10 player, but has been struggling for quite some time now at definitely in the slams, I would say. And there was a period last year where she decided to just travel without her coach, in uh, specifically in San Diego. And I, I asked her about that, and I was actually really nervous about asking the question as soon as it came out of my mouth because I didn't want it to be like, "Oh, you know, are you better off without him?" type of thing. But she gave a great answer about, you know, hey, you know, I having not having him here makes me appreciate, you know, the feedback that I do get when he is here. Mm. Um, but yeah, it didn't work out. And it kind of makes sense. It seems like she's kind of plateaued a little bit, like we spoke on 
Pagula last week. Um, I didn't see any word of which direction she's going uh, for her next coach or anything like that. But uh, yeah, it seems to be uh, much more of the trend this year of like, all right, bad yeah. start to the year. We're, we're switching things up. Yeah, it's very much like a transitional year. I think there's a lot of players that, I mean, we'll talk about this too when we're talking about the American players. I, I think it applies especially to them, but it's kind of a, tra- a transitional year where you've got this young generation of players that are contending for big tournaments right out the gate, you know, quarterfinals, semifinals, finalists, Grand Slam champions. And um, you've got the, you know, the uh, the previous next gen, the players that are in that 26 to you know, 28 range that um, haven't been able to get to that next step in their career in soccer. He now becomes one of three top 10 players to change their coach. And we're not even through two months of this year, which is, we're not used to seeing that. It's, it's um, it, it feels, it feels like we're in a transitional year for a lot of players that need to figure, figure out what that next step is. And I, I just, you know, recently watched, uh, finished the Netflix um, breakpoint and Sakari is in the same episode in season two that Pagula is. And Sakari, I would say of all of the episodes, seem to have the most um, like headbutting with her coach. Yeah. It, it, there was times yeah. where she's really, really, really down on herself and she wasn't appreciating. She, she was kind of, she was very dismissive of stuff that the coaches were saying to her. And that, I noticed that in the episode. And now I think of that in hindsight, you know, now that she's decided to, to part ways with her coach, because there was a, there was a particular scene where he's trying to like joke around with her after a loss. And she's like, no, like, don't, I don't need that. Right. Yeah. I don't want that. Like basically being like, don't talk to me right now. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Like maybe that happens more often than we know, but like that was noticeable to me. And she starts this year losing in the second round in Australian open first round in Abu Dhabi uh, about a week ago. And now the first round in Doha, I mean, she's had tough challenges, uh, t- uh, tough uh, opponents. I mean, she lost to, uh, I believe Neskova who's mm-hmm. look, looked great, but um, yeah, it's like, okay. Uh, this was one that like, I, I feel like the writing was on the wall. If you had watched that episode, you're like, okay, this something's not right here. And then add to it what you were talking about. She traveled without a coach at the end of last year. She went and won her first masters 1000 title as well. So it does kind of make you wonder, yeah, was, was this, uh, was the writing on the wall here for, for her coach? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, probably, I mean, if you remember in season one, she was like, you know, Tom is my, my best friend basically. Uh, so probably a very difficult, uh, position to be in to have to, you know, make a switch. Um, even there was the, there was a part in season two where he was checking in with her psychologist about like, Hey, what? what I want to say this, how do I say this? And I, I mean, I'm sure that's, that's probably normal when it comes to working mm-hmm. on a team, but I, I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic of like, Oh, wow. There's, there's quite a few things going on in that camp. And uh, yeah, maybe it changes what she needs. Um, I hope so. she's like a very it. nice person, good player, full, still a lot of potential. Uh, so we'll see. Well, who, uh, not that we want to be um, the grim reaper here, but who do you think is the next coach to fall? From Netflix Breakpoint. Whoa. Ooh. <laughs> um, man, this is a tough one because I hate to, you know, call for anyone's job. But uh, can I throw out uh, Apostolos Sitsipas? 
which is probably unlikely, but that's that's a, a coaching camp that like is always kind of messy and it's there's sort of a revolving door, uh, you know, adding people, taking them away. And it's just kind of odd. And uh, Steph is kind of in the same place where it's like, all right, he's he's made slam semifinals. He's made slam finals. I don't know. Is he at, at the point where it's like, all right, is this the best tennis we've seen from him? He's still relatively young. So I, I would like to see some type of a change. Um, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen because how do you fire your dad? Yeah, I mean, he that's a good one. Um, I can see that only because he's going to need to change something. He keeps kind of hitting his head against the ceiling. Um, He's one of those players that kind of seem to rely a little too much on their coaching. And he's one of those players that, um, you know, obviously has has his family in his box. And um, I can see him moving on and deciding that he needs a different voice for sure. Um, That's a good pick. I would say my pick is probably uh, going back to season one, uh, Felix, with Tony Nadal. Yeah, that one. um, That was maybe a few people were kind of calling for that throughout the year last year because he struggled so much. I think we talked about it early on when we were going through the Australian Open. Um, Playing a little bit better recently, but still falling short of his own expectations, I'm sure. So um, I can see, I can see that one being, being my pick. That might be the next, uh, next person to fall there. Yeah. I feel it. People maybe kind of newer, you know, have, you know, kind of forgotten, but like we thought Felix, or at least I thought I was like, well, this is a top 10 player. This is a top five player, a slam contender. And I don't know if we've ever seen his best tennis. I mean, maybe, maybe we've already seen it, but it's just kind of like, I don't, I don't know. He's someone where you look at it. It's like, wow, technique is perfect. He's an elite athlete. There's no reason why he shouldn't be succeeding, but, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, what else do we have from the week? Oh, so there are no more one handed backhands in the top 10 for the first time in the ATP ranking history. Uh, what do you think yeah. about that? Oh man, this is, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe, it, maybe this is us now, but it just feels like, like when you listen to like older people talk about like watching Michael Jordan and then now watching like Steph Curry do whatever. And they're like, Oh, the game has changed. And it, it, it's kind <laughs> of like, I think that's us now. Um, but uh, what you have a two hand backhand or do you have a one hand backhand? Yeah. Well, okay. This is an interesting conversation. Okay. I, have always had a two-handed backhand and mm-hmm. probably have a, I hit a better two-handed backhand. I never really adapted a one-hand at all, but I got to a point where I was so not confident in my two-handed backhand that I started experimenting with a one hand and mm-hmm. I do mix it in sometimes, which is probably really not <laughs> advised from a coaching perspective, <laughs> but there's like certain balls and certain heights where like, I do like getting down and hitting a one hander and then yeah. rest of the time, like especially cross courts or like a power shot, I, I pull a two hander. So you'll see both from me and neither are that good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a two hander. I tried, I tried to do a one hand, uh, forever uh but like my best shot is my backhand so i was like well i can't i can't abandon my best shot because mm-hmm. I, I really need that thing um but yeah my my thoughts on it 
it was bound, I think it was bound to happen at some point or another. I have a thing pulled up here of uh, the one-handed backhand player rankings. Mm. Um, off the top of your head, who is, well, this might be obvious, who's the highest ranked one-hand backhand? What do you think? Currently? Currently. Um, well, it'd be Sitsipas. Give me a top three. Sitsipas? Okay, then who do you think is two? Sorry to put you on the spot, but... No, I no, no, this is good. good. This is good yeah. because... I, I I feel like you're teeing me up for like the next person is probably really far down the list. Me, uh, Not Dimitrov. As far. Dimitrov. Yes. Yep. Okay. So that goes from Stefanos. Here it's listed as 10. I know he just fell out of the top 10. Dimitrov, mm-hmm. 13, potentially on his way into the top 10 soon. Uh, who have you got after that? Because after that, it gets a little bit tricky. Because I was looking at it, I was like, damn. Um,. Well, I could cheat because I do have the rankings up, but Ooh. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. Uh, now, we're, we're, now we got to be getting down to like the th- like in like the thirties or something. Yeah, who is it? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll round out the top five. So we have Stefanos, mm-hmm. ranked just outside the top ten. Grigor, the same. Then we have Lorenzo Musetti. Okay. Yep. 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 Chris Eubanks. Oh, Dan yeah. Evans. And then Daniel Altemeyer. It gets, yeah, I mean, it's like, we're it's basically. It's a big drop yeah, off. It's a pretty big drop off. I mean, you, you can throw in Stan Wawrinka, who's, mm-hmm. you know, according to this list, 60th, and then Dominic Team, and then uh, a couple other players, and then Dennis Shapovala, Richard Gasquet, but they're out of the top 100. So uh, dire times for the one hand backhand. Uh, sure is. It's hard to say if there's any particular reason, if it's just like, are, are these one hand backhands that are left just not, you know, not as good. Obviously, there's the classic like, oh, you can just hit a high topspin ball into a one hand backhand and attack or move them out wide into the deuce side and make them hit a running backhand and rush the nets. Um, tough to say. Uh, none of those players I would say that I went through is like their backhand isn't really a weapon. Maybe, you know, um, Rinka like 10 years ago but uh mm-hmm. it just seems like an exposable flaw not i don't want to call it a flaw because it's obviously it's a huge part of their game but uh, i think we've seen the one hand back and get exposed a little bit uh with you know the change in technology change in play style um yeah will it come back i i don't know looking at that list i mean the young player is lorenzo musetti um i'm not sure so we're talking potentially Dominic team being the last one-handed backhand to ever win a grand slam. Whoa. <laughs> that's my hot take, right? Wow. I, so I put, and that's pretty crazy to think about. I mean, obviously Federer is, you know, one of the greatest of all time and, and, and yep. he comes to mind, but I posted about this the other day and I said, you know, hot wow. takes only, uh, what does everybody think about the, the news of that? That we don't have somebody in the top 10 and some of the responses were pretty funny. Um, by 2050, no more backhand, no more one-handed backhands. Period. <laughs> uh, yeah, one-handed backhands very... will look like a wooden racket in a few years. Um, <laughs> this one, uh, this is Chapo's fault. That's one of the replies. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see who, if there's going to be another one-hander that is going to get back into the top ten. But it is becoming uh i feel like in coaching too like you, you probably see this nobody really coaches one-handed backhands i feel like um 
Yeah, that's what I was going to get into. I, I teach and I've taught a lot of beginner, intermediate tennis, adults, juniors. And my my thing is like, I, you know, all right, you know, I go over the basics of the forehand. Now we're going to go into the backhand. I show them both. I, mm -hmm. I never like to like pigeonhole anyone into anything. I was like, all right, we're going to start with just the parameters of the two hand. We'll go through it. Then I'm going to show you the one hand and you tell me which one feels better. And there's been a handful of times where I have like some juniors like, oh, you know what? I kind of prefer the way this feels. And that's where we start from. And then we'll do that. Um, but the majority, I would say, you know, if we're doing 10, 10 players, eight, nine out of 10 are like, I, I prefer the two hand back. And I, and I tell yeah. them, I said, hey, here are the pros and cons of each. You know, you have extended reach. It's your dominant shoulder. You can potentially hit it a little bit harder. The, the downside is, you know, going above your shoulder um you know returning serve so uh yeah it's uh i think it's soon going to be a thing of the past if not kind of already is yeah yeah i that's the that's what i've noticed at least with the when i try to experiment with it is i i like the range of motion better from a one hand um mm -hmm. when i hit it right it feels and looks a lot cleaner of a ball but yeah. um yeah it's just there's too much margin for error and you see that in Sitsipas's game it's like it either looks really clean and it's well struck or you're, you look like you're swinging a baseball bat going for a home run. And there's really not too much in between. He shanks a lot of balls on his backhand too. Um, and you know, when I try the one hander out that that's kind of the similar experience and I'm not trying to compare myself to any professional tennis player, but like, you know, it is, yeah, there's a lot more margin for error in a one handed backhand. So, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we're going to be talking about one handed backhands, um, you know, in hindsight at some point in our lives, but that'll be an interesting thing to keep track of. I mean, I know probably not too much is going to change this year, but just like this, this mm -hmm. list of like one handed backhand rank that's on tennis abstract, by the way, in case yeah, anyone's nice. wondering. Um, nice. but yeah, that's, uh, that was good random news. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> uh, some other random news from the week we had, um, we talked about this, uh, the wild cards and Indian Wells. Um, we did have a little bit of a debate about, um, some of the older players. We, we were talking about Andy Murray and, um, you know, his impending retirement. Uh, but Venus Williams gets granted a wild card at Indian Wells. Um, excited to see her back there. You and I are both be there and I'll definitely going to go check out her practice. But when I posted about this, a lot of people replied saying, why, you know, what makes her deserve one? Or, you know, she's, she's taking a wild card from a younger player. I didn't want to like get into this too much. Cause I feel like we did uh, a little bit in, um, two episodes ago, but I did just want to kind of like state my case about that, which is, um, she's somebody who's a seven time grand slam winner. Uh, she, like everybody else that's playing tennis right now, regardless of age, has put in her time to get to that point as well. She's faced her hardship. She's faced her adversity. Uh, as a tournament, you get a certain number of wild cards to, to give. You get to decide at your discretion. Um, most of them have a format for that. Sometimes it'll be homegrown talent. Um, you know, in the U.S. especially, they try to give wild cards to up-and-coming young U.S. players. Um, some people get to, uh, get wild cards through, uh, the USTA juniors. If they win like a singles or a doubles or NCAA national championship, that's great. The rest of the wild cards, the tournament gets to decide how to use. And if I'm Tommy Haas and I am the tournament director at Indian Wells, I'm trying to sell tickets and no offense to the players, the young players that are trying to make a name for themselves. Venus Williams is going to sell a thousand to one tickets. 
Nobody's going to go buy a ticket specifically because they found out that a you know very few people right are going to go buy a ticket for to go see somebody practice or go see somebody play that you've basically never heard of. Maybe they're getting their first wild card into a major tournament like this. Venus Williams is going to have hundreds of people at her practice court. Practice court. And she might get knocked out in the first round. And so would potentially an amateur player that's, you know, just trying to go pro or or whatever, you know, whatever the scenario is. So that's just, that's my case for Venus Williams and giving her that wild card. I'm going to go see her play. I've seen her uh, play even at the peak of her game at us open and everything, but I'm probably going to go watch her practice and um, you know, good for her. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I'm with you. It's kind of crazy to be like, Oh, like she's taking somebody else's. It's like, like who like name name that player <laughs> and it's like, yeah, exactly <laughs> um uh and also you know it, i mean this is as close <clears throat> excuse me it's as close as is she's gonna get to uh you know a home local tournament for her she's mm-hmm. from southern california so it just makes a ton of sense um yeah the the only kind of like wild card business and i and i like what you mentioned about like tournaments kind of find their own ways to distribute them uh, the BNP used to do a thing, which was actually kind of a cool tie-in to, to my club and, and my life, which uh, they would do the um, like a challenger series, basically, where they hosted a WTA event at my club, and the winner of that got direct entry into uh, Indian Wells. And uh, mm-hmm. that year, it just so happened to be Bianca Andreescu won the tournament at my club, won Indian Wells later that year, wins the U.S. Open. So it was kind of like, you know, things Amazing. like that can really change somebody's career like that. Yeah. Like, um, so, yeah, I, I know there was a little bit of a flack from, I think it was either Madrid or maybe it was Miami that IMG runs the tournament and all the wild cars basically went to IMG players, which if you don't know, IMG is like a huge agency in tennis and just in sports in general. But like, yeah, they, you know, they start managing and running tournaments and take care of their own players. And it's like, you know what? Okay. If you invest in buying the tournament, I guess do whatever mm-hmm. you want with it. So yeah. Yeah. In this case, I think it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Well, sticking with uh, American tennis, um, we just had a match wrap up today, um, got postponed uh, in Del Rey. Uh, a lot of the American players who live down there in Florida like to play in this tournament. Um, a few of them just came over from the Dallas Open. So um, you're getting a lot of head-to-head between the American players right now. Uh, Fritz ends up beating Paul in a... I watched it. It was boring. I don't know. It was fine. Yeah. It was like, yeah. you know... Paul, uh, Tommy Paul ended up winning in Dallas Open. I think a lot, lot of tennis over the last two weeks for him. Didn't really look like he had the gas um, or the fight. Fritz ends up winning 6-2, 6-3. But you've got all the American players playing each other over these last two weeks. Um, you know, we're going to be going into Indian Wells here, and we're going to be getting a little bit more of that. We're in a really, really, really good spot in American tennis, both on the men's side and on the women's side. In men's tennis, you've got 12 players in the top 100. On the women's side, you have 14 players in the top 100. On the women's side, it's a little bit more clear-cut who the best player is. I think it's maybe you could have a debate, I guess, but it is there's there's not as much substance to it. I want to talk about it on the men's side with you, though, because you're getting all these matches head-to-head. You're getting a younger generation of players that are coming up um, and contending, 
And then you've got some of the players like Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, um, who you've been kind of waiting for them to make that next step. So I want to talk about who you think right now is the best American player. Okay. All right. So uh, most, uh, for you listeners, most of the stuff we talk about, we have a shared note, Ian and I, but this one is not a shared <laughs> note. So this is a live reaction yeah. to my note titled Team America. Um, okay. Best American player right now. Is that where we're starting? Well, yeah, we can, we'll do uh, both on the men's side and on the okay. women's side. Uh, women's side, easy, Coco. Uh, I guess on the men's side, too, it's got to be Taylor. He made the deepest run into the AO. He just won this tournament. We might have the same picks. I don't know. But Coco and Taylor, it just makes the most sense. Okay. We are going to differ right off the bat, which is good. Whoa, I, good. I agree with you on Coco. I think that's the most, you know, on the women's side, it's a little bit more clear cut. I think a lot of this mm. conversation there's going to be more up for debate on the men's side because there's so much yep. parity right now. Um, you know, Coco on the women's side, she's the top ranked player. She just won us open. She's making it deep into the tournaments on a most consistent basis. And if you want to add in doubles, she's a dual threat. She's one of the best doubles players in the entire world. Men's side. I'm going to make a case that I actually think Ben Shelton is the best American tennis player. And I'll give you a few reasons why Ben Shelton has made it further in a grand slam already than Taylor Fritz has. I get that Taylor Fritz is on paper, the rankings, the experience, all of that. Ben Shelton is two, two and two versus Tommy Paul. He's Owen one versus Fritz, but that loss, I believe goes back. You have to go back uh, at least a year, I believe on that one. So mm-hmm. Ben Shelton's got a lot more experience now. Um, and, uh, and he's one and no versus Tiafo. And like I said, he's already made it deeper than Fritz has in a grand slam. Um, I actually think Ben Shelton's the better tennis player. Dang. What, what about tour level consistency? Cause he's made deeper runs at slams, but then mm-hmm. if you look at the year as a whole, like where was he between AO but last I... year and us open? Yeah. Obviously he was playing, but like what like not a lot of good results there. Yeah. I I feel like you can okay, so Taylor <laughs> Fritz is a little bit more consistent. Um mm-hmm. I think this kind of does transition to the next question that I have for yep. you is Go who has it. the most potential. So I'm just gonna okay. segue to that. Not only do mm-hmm. I think like if, if I'm if it's a grand slam, okay, this is how I'm mm-hmm. thinking of this too. If I if this is a grand slam and of course the draw is going to make a huge difference here. If I was to ask you, and this is one of our questions, who's the next one to win a grand slam, who is more likely to win a grand slam? I'm picking Ben Shelton over Taylor Fritz. So I just, I think because of that, I have to pick Ben Shelton as I think he is the best American player right now. He's also for me, and this is maybe a little boring, but he's also the player that I have listed for who has the most potential. I'm considering age, um, I'm also just considering uh, the style of play. He's only 21 years old. He's already made a semifinal at the U.S. Open. He's made the quarterfinal at Australian Open. And he's cocky as all hell. He actually, to a fault, I, and or and to his betterment, he thinks that he should win every single time he steps on the court. He thinks that he should have won against Djokovic, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I think because he has that mentality, that makes him so, so, so dangerous. Um, so Ben Shelton is also my pick for the player that I believe has the most potential. 
Um, on the female side, I'm, I'm still going to go Coco Goff. It's a little boring, but she's, she's only 19 years old. Um, she's not done at one grand slam. So. Yeah, I, uh, I'm the same, basically across the board, uh, WTA Coco, of course, it's got a slam still so young. We're just seeing the beginning of who she's going to be as a player. Um, so yeah, that one's easy. And I actually, I agree with Shelton. Cause that's, that's kind of what I was thinking when I was like, all right, who's the best player? It's like, all right, right now it's Taylor. Who has the biggest upside? For sure, it's Shelton, because like, he's obviously got the tools that he has now, but he's only going to get better. He's still kind of figuring out his game, hasn't really had a ton of experience on clay or on grass, which once he figures that out, okay, then, you know, then the conversation will probably change. But yeah, potential... Shelton for sure. I think, uh, and just like you said, I think he has the potential to go deeper in any slam really at the moment, which he's proven to do. He just has such an upside and is so electric that you feel like it kind of doesn't matter who he's playing against. He's going to have a chance to be in every set. So uh, no, I, uh, I'm with you on that. I think that one's felt a little bit more obvious to me, Um, but we got a couple other categories here. Now we talked about who we thought was the best and who has the most potential Who's your personal favorite to watch? Ooh. Um, I put Shelton. Mm. Men's Shelton, just because, I mean, he's just exciting. You'll see him. It's different than watching Carlos, because Carlos is going to do these crazy, he's going to get to these balls. But, like, Shelton always seems to do, like, he'll rush the net when someone has an overhead and make a volley or do something crazy, you know, behind the back stuff, you know. 140 mile an hour second serve so he's definitely the the most fun to watch just because you kind of don't know what you're going to get and Mm. he's always got like positive energy yelling around you know he's like you said cocky so that that's cool to watch uh (laughs) wta side i've got danielle collins okay nice nice yeah good good to give (laughs) Um, her some love i i like watching her too yeah, just aggressive, intense, in your face, uh, is chill, nice, off the court, got to interview her, and I, I she was somebody that when I got to, like, the press thing, because it was just a table between us, I was kind of scared, because, you know, on court, you see her, and it's just like, oh my god, uh, but she was really cool, really nice, but just on court mm-hmm. is just a, a monster, yeah. just in your face, standing on the baseline, ripping balls, come on, uh, so I, I really enjoy watching her, and it's going to be our last year to see her do her thing, so... Yeah, yeah, that was going to be my top pick for the WTA side nice. um, as far as my favorite to watch. I changed it, though. I got to go with my girl, Jess. She's from my hometown of Buffalo. I also really like an underappreciated part of her game is she might not be the flashiest or hit the hardest ball. You know, you're talking about Collins and how aggressive she is and how much she shows on the court, the emotion. Jess is the opposite of all of that. Um but underappreciated part of her game is her ability to problem solve. I don't know how many matches I've watched where um, she just doesn't look like she has it or she's facing an opponent that is just um, you know overpowering her or moving around too much. She slowly starts to figure it out one point at a time. And it's it's not like a light switch like some other players. They take a break, they go, um, you know, go to the bathroom, come back the next set. Jess Pagula, it's, it's, it's a lot more of a progressive over the course of the match. You're like, wow, all of a sudden you're in the third set and you're like, oh my God, she was getting destroyed, but now she's looking like the better player. And you almost didn't see how it happened. It didn't look like she does anything differently. Um, and I just think that's such an amazing part of her game. So not the, not the flashiest person, uh, on the court, but, um, 
definitely appreciate that part of her game. And I, and I always love to cheer for her uh, being from, from Buffalo, New York. So on the men's side, Francis Tiafo, no brainer. I've seen him play live a couple times, fun, energetic, smiling all the time. Um, extreme highs plays off of the crowd energy. Um, also a bit of a roller coaster, uh, because you love him so much and because you get so invested in a match uh, that he's in and he's, he's playing off of the crowd a lot. It also means that when it doesn't go his way, it's depressing. It sucks. It's hard to watch. <laughs> so, um, you know, a little bit of ups and ups and downs watching him, but I, I got to say Tiafo, I saw him play in Miami and it was just an absolute blast. It was, uh, you know, classic Florida weather. It started raining. They took the players off the court. They dried them off. They came back out. They play a couple points. It started raining. Oh. And then it finally just like absolute downpour uh, for a solid hour maybe. We're like walking around in like ankle deep water. And his box stayed for the whole, you know, as hours had gone by, his box stayed. The crowd stayed to watch him. And we ended up being there from like 8 a.m., you know, we or like 8 or 9 in the morning. We got there, started watching some of the practices in the early matches, watched his match play like third round, fourth round. And we stayed to watch him till like nine o'clock at night or something like that. Like it just kept on getting delayed. And yeah, it was just so much fun. It was just the way that he was playing with the crowd and everything. And I got to move down to like the front row to watch him. And it was just, it was awesome. So, Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good choices. Um, most underrated player. Okay. Um, Definitely not on this show because we like to we like to show love to Sebastian Corda, um, but I feel like in general, under the radar. Uh, still, you know, we don't know what he's gonna do this year, but um, I, I don't know. I guess maybe it's hard to call him underrated when he's in the top fifty, but uh, why not throwing him out there? On the WTA side, also kind of all right. I think she's in the top twenty now. Madison Keys, someone who. Mm-hmm. doesn't really come to the top of your head when you think of like top American players, but she's always having big wins at slams, like making good random runs to semis and finals is one of the cleanest ball strikers on either tour. So um, yeah, very underrated and very kind of like low key personalities. You're not really going to get any headlines from either one or anything like that. So um, yeah, good underrated Americans. Yeah. What have you got? Yeah. I thought about putting in Corda. I also have Keys listed as the female player. Um, this one was tough for me because I can make a case for two or three different ones. Madison Keys is one. She's, I think she's ranked 16 right now. She's yeah. um, kind of quietly uh, brought her brought her game right back up to the top again. Um, Collins is somebody who is just always there, always dangerous, is capable of beating a player like Iga. Um, also Taylor Townsend, I have her listed on here. I don't know if I could pick one between any of them, but Taylor Townsend is top 100, uh, playing doubles, playing mixed doubles. Again, always good for a round or two of really, really surprising high quality tennis against the top tier player. Um, so it's gotta be one of them. And on the men's side, um, I'm going to go with some of these SoCal, uh, Grinders, uh, Mackie McDonald, nice. Brandon Nakashima, Marcos Giron. Again, all three nice. players that are very consistently top 100. Um, you know, underrated in that you, 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 they don't get talked about with the, you know, the, the top six or seven other players that are in the top 50, but, um, great players that are always there in the main draw of all the grand slams. You've seen them make a couple runs. Um, 
waiting for one of them to to kind of make another surprise run, but um, you know, three solid players there. So very good. Yeah, shout out to the SoCal talent. That's right. Um, what else do we got on here? How about uh, who were you wrong about? Uh, I was wrong about Taylor Fritz for all the nice <laughs> things I said about him earlier. Um, so I got to see him play on, like I said, they did the Challenger Series at my club. So they did, uh, he won that, I think, two years in a row, and he was super young. And to be honest, he was kind of arrogant around the club, kind of prissy. Uh, I was like, eh, I'm not really in on this guy. I kind of just saw him as like, all right, he's he's got a nice serve, and he's kind of soft, and I don't know if he has what it takes to really compete you know, with the top dogs, but I, I was wrong. And I, I feel like I'm continuously wrong in the sense of like, I'll, I'll look at a draw and be like, ah, he's not making it out of that. But he, uh, he's kind of a dog. He fights. I mean, I remember last year, him and Tommy Paul, I think it was in Acapulco like, where they play this epic three set in the heat. They're both cramping. Taylor pukes in a trash can during the match and comes out and still plays like a crazy good level. Uh, so, uh, I was wrong about Taylor. I thought, you mm. know, all right, whatever. He's, he's he doesn't have what it takes. He's kind of soft. He's going to like fizzle out. But he's our our best player. You know, for the yeah. past several years, he's leading the charge, uh, top ten. So, uh, sorry, Taylor. Uh, much respect. <laughs> I had it wrong. Anybody on the women's side? Yes. Uh, ooh, this one might hurt. Pegula. I thought uh, she was going to break through. I thought she was going to get her slam because I was like, all right, you know, uh, before sort of the, the WTA big three was kind of formed, I was like, all right, she's she's right there. She's, you know, knocking on the door. She's going to get one of these. And uh, hasn't happened is uh, almost like an Andre Rublev type where it's like you're, you're always there, but you just can't, mm-hmm. like, break through. Um, I'm rooting for her. But, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was wrong. I thought she would have had her slam already. Hmm. Sorry. I would say, yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I think the most equivalent to a Rublev to me is Sakari, but, um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Um, for mine, who was I wrong about? Um, on the women's side, Sophia Kennan, uh, this is a, wow. a good one where I thought she was done. I thought we saw her take advantage of the 2020, uh, COVID year. Um, she won Australian open. She won the French open or was in the finals of the French open that year and, uh, struggled a lot after that really fell off. Um, fell almost completely out of the rankings, you know, uh, didn't look like somebody when she, when she was making her comeback, just looked not even there, not on the same page as the rest of the players in the tour. And I thought that she was just done, uh, Fast forward to the end of last year, she had an amazing run and now finds herself back in the top 100 again. Um, still got still has a little bit more work to go to to get back to where she was, but I thought she was done done, and she's she's not. She's still hanging around and she's still playing pretty well. Um, on the men's side, this one hurts for me because I could put Sebi Corda under the most potential. Um, I could put him under uh, favorite to watch. I, you know, I, I think that there is still a very high ceiling for him. I thought he was going to be top 10 by now. I think two years ago, I said next year, top 10, he's going to be the best American player. So I was wrong about that. I think that his game, how calm he is, he has the attitude of a winner. You don't see him really getting too angry um, or even too excited when he, when he wins points or wins matches. He just seems to be somebody who wants to stay very grounded, his eyes on the prize. 
He wants to be number one in the world. He wants to win a Grand Slam. And nothing else other than that is going to get him too excited or too down. Um, starting to see a little bit more frustration from his game, and you're seeing a lot of weak weaknesses in his game more recently. Um, his serve isn't really uh, a weapon for him. And um, he's just not aggressive enough. That's something that I've noticed in his game. He just kind of plays back or plays down to his opponent a little bit. So, but I was wrong. I mean, I thought that he was going to be the guy right now. I thought he would be top 10 best American player in the world, uh, best, best player in America uh, by now. And he, he's just not there yet. So that's, uh, sorry, Sebi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When uh, I'm happy that you mentioned Ken, cause uh, well, this goes into our, uh, our next, the next question you had posed is like, who do you want to see make a comeback? And yeah. uh, my answer for that was, was Kennan. Like, I know she's kind of right, right in the middle of it now. Um, and when I looked her up, I was like, she's only 25. Which yep. is like, I don't know why, yep. but I just assumed she was like much older than that. And, um, yeah, I mean, strong finish to the year. Uh, also got to talk to her in San Diego last year and, um, was like, you know, hey, what what's changed for you? She's like, I'm not really doing anything different. I'm just playing, you know, I'm, it's finally coming together. So I'm just doing what I normally do, which is just watch Netflix and train and uh, I'm going to keep it going. So I was like, all right, cool. Nice. Um, so then on the men's side, just for the <clears throat> anomaly that he is, uh, Maxime Cressy. Who, uh, <laughs> man, he's, I, I, he's someone that I kind of lost track of. He's currently number 177 in the mm-hmm. ATP Tour rankings, which yeah. uh, if you don't know, Maxime Cressy was basically the last player that's like, I am going to just serve in volley. I'm going to mm-hmm. return in volley. I'm going to use one racket to serve and one racket to return at a different tension. And uh, it, I don't, I don't want to say it ever really worked, but he put up some good results. But um, he was in the he was in the top 40, maybe top. Yep. 30 i can't i can't think of his high his high had i think was in the 30s won the uh, hall of fame open in rhode island that's right yeah and i mean this i mean i guess there's less serving volleyers left in the one hand backhand but it's kind of another thing of like is this is this a thing of the past uh obviously i don't think the move is just to serve in volley every point you know mix it in like you see novak doing like you see carlos doing but uh, yeah, I, I mean, he was just an interesting person to have playing Masters 1000s. And you, it was someone you would see in a draw be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go watch this match because it's going to be interesting and different to see. So uh, I'd like to see him get back in the mix, obviously struggling a little bit right now. But uh, yeah. Monster of a serve, frustrates yes. every opponent. Um, he actually, he uh, played here in Ojai. He played at the Wild Tennis Academy, um, and he still comes out here every once in a while to to train with a couple of the coaches there. So, um, yeah, I got invited to watch him practice, and then it got canceled. And I was like, oh, my God, I, ha- I have to see him serving. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Another big server for me. So uh, who do I want to see make a comeback? Uh, Riley Opelka hasn't played tennis in 15 months or something like that. Love his personality. Um, Very outspoken off the, uh, off the, uh, the court. Um, Almost completely forgotten about because so much has happened in the past year plus that he hasn't been on the tour, but um, another big server serve bot, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I liked him. Um, so I want to see him come back and, and be healthy and, and get in return to form, um, on the women's side, uh, toss up, um, Amanda Nisimova, uh, made it to 21 in the world. I think I like her game. 
the best of all the players on the on the uh, American women's side that I want to see kind of climb back into the rankings. Um, and then maybe Jen Brady, she made it up to number 13 in the world, hasn't played in a while either. Um, I like Anissa Mova's game a little bit more than Jen Brady, but um, yeah, those are my, my two for, for players I'd like to see come back on the WTA side. Yeah, that's good. Jen Brady, currently an assistant coach at UCLA. Oh, In no the meantime, kidding. As she recovers, yes. But yeah, so, I, uh, I. You know what that means, right? Oh, is she going to be around? Ojai? She'll be up here for the Ojai oh, then, probably. There yes. You go. Okay. Boom. I'm going to get my interview with her then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think nice. about that. Oh, man. I got to write that down. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. That just opened up so many doors for me. So the Bryan brothers are the honoree this year. I'm going to get to talk to them and all that. So yeah, I'm going to try to, you know, find some time to to speak with them. But now I can add Jen Brady to the uh, agenda. That's great. Yeah, dude, she's a legend. The the Flex Seal sponsor on her shirts is just like, that's probably the best on court or on apparel sponsor of anything. (laughs) I don't know if I've seen it. Oh, dude. Yeah. So I I mean, obviously she's not playing, but do you know Flex Seal? It's like you, you would see it on like... Yeah, infomercials so just, yeah boom right on her shirt like yeah, flex yeah. seal that's great yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so a couple more that we had written down here i want to finish with who you think is going to be the next one to win a grand slam um i got some deep cuts here for newcomers to watch out for now this one's up for interpretation it could be somebody who's kind of like already on the map but is yep. you think still has um a lot more to prove and is a high ceiling um, I've got some kind of like junior players that I'm super, super excited about. Oh, nice. So yeah, I'll let you go first. Uh, who are the newcomers um, on the American side for you? Newcomers, uh, ATP side, I put Alex uh, Mickelson. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, he's known, you know, people know him. He played next-gen finals, career. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Indian Wells is going to be his first Masters 1000. Uh, no, no wild card required. He's, I think in the top, uh, 50, 60, something like that. So, um, someone to look out for great game. Um, and then on the WTA side, I think she's out of the top 100 at the moment. Uh, but Alicia parks, mm-hmm. uh, one of the biggest serves, uh, on the WTA side, uh, her most high profile match against Coco Goff was kind of hyped up at the AO and she, she just played awful. Um, yeah. Young players, still a lot to figure out, but I was looking at the WT side going through the rake, and I was like, you know what? She's still young. She can, uh, with a serve like that, you're going to be in a lot of sets, going to be in a lot of matches, so uh, I'm going with Alicia. All right. Yeah, I thought about putting Alicia there. I've been a little disappointed. I think she's 22? Yep. Yeah, 22. Um Somewhere around there. Yeah, a little disappointed. I think I expected her to be a little bit more um, in the mix than she has been. Uh, For me, newcomers to watch out for on the women's side. Um, It'd be crazy not to mention Emma Navarro, who's made her way into the top 30 very quietly. I think she's 21 years old. Um, You know, she isn't talked about really, and she's at least making it two or three rounds deep, uh, into these tournaments. Um, she could be somebody that just really surprises us. And all of a sudden, boom, she's there in a quarterfinal or a semifinal. The next thing you know, she's top 20 player in the world. Um, you know, and somebody that we'll see a lot more of. Um, I also wanted to put on here a junior player. Uh, she played in her first grand slam, um, main draw last year at the U S open. She got a wild card, uh, uh, clervy Ganoy, uh, oh, yeah. she had a really tough first round match. Didn't 
do much with it. I can't remember. Uh, Arya Christea? Savile. Savile? Yeah. Or, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, she Tofu's mom. Yeah. lost in straight sets. Not a great match, but she's only 17 years old. She's currently ranked second uh, in the ITF juniors. She won the junior uh, Wimbledon girls title uh, last year and was in the quarterfinal for the junior French girls. Uh, so she's somebody to watch out for, for me. And there's one player that I could not wait to get to and talk about for the men's, mm-hmm. which is Darwin Blanche. I don't know if you've watched any of Darwin Blanche. No. He's 16 years old. So I'm going to, I'm going to put everybody onto him now who okay. doesn't know who he is. 16 years old, ranks sixth in the ITF juniors right now. Um, he was unseated. Uh, beat the top seed at the French uh, at the French last year for juniors. Beat the top seed, um, a, not in straight sets. I think it, it went three sets, but ended up making the semifinals versus Dino Prismich. Oh, and wow. then he made uh, the Wimbledon junior semifinals right after that. He's only 16. The kid is dynamite. I think of the American men in the juniors right now, he's one of the younger ones and he's ranked higher than almost all of them. And he looks wow. like legit the next guy to see. So, all right. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> I love that. So that leaves us with one final question, which is who is the next American to win a grand slam title? You can give me one on the men's and women's side if you want, or just one. Uh, women's. Coco, why not? Yep. She's obviously just done it. Um, is, you know, she's usually contending singles, doubles, everything. Um, men's side, um, <laughs> no one. That no, that would be bad. That would be a hot take where I say no one. But just for the upside, I guess I could say Shelton. Okay, maybe not this year. Maybe it just maybe you know four or five years down the road because I feel like when you look at the other top American players, you, you kind of know what you're going to get. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe one of them has a Stan Wawrinka flip the switch late in career and like, all right, now all of a sudden I can, I can win slams. But uh, just looking at the, at the competition, you know, Sinner is evolving into, you know, what he is now. Carlos is Carlos, Will Steph and, you know, Zverev and these other, and Medvedev, like it's, I just feel like it's going to be tough. Um, yeah. but if, if we could dream, maybe Ben Shelton adds a few things to his game and, uh, can make an epic run either maybe at a Wimbledon or at a U.S. Open, uh, like an Andy Roddick did, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, I agree with you on Coco. I don't really have anything else to add. I think she's not done with one, um, I have Ben Shelton listed on the men's side as well, but I also have the same asterisk as you where like, I don't feel strongly about that. I think most likely it's somebody who's not currently ranked. Um, somebody that we don't know about just yet. Ben Shelton's probably got the highest ceiling. Um, I think it's going to take, it's it's probably going to take the right draw for it to happen. And you know, there, that kind of might come with its own asterisks in its own itself. If somebody, finally breaks through on the American side and wins a grand slam. It might be like, Oh yeah, well that's because so-and-so wasn't playing or something, you know? Um, so yeah, we haven't seen the top of Ben Shelton's game. And I agree with you, everybody else, the Tiafos, um, Taylor Fritz, uh, Tommy Paul. I feel like we kind of know what to expect and we, we, we know how deep they can make it, but don't just the eye test. They, they don't seem to have 
it. They don't seem to have what Sinner and Alcaraz and Djokovic have. So, yeah, I was in right now. I was just thinking, I was like, hey, maybe there's a chance for a gold medal, but I don't know on the clay, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, best of three because they they play best of three in the Olympics. I would, I think. Um, I don't know yeah, why I, I don't remember, right. but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it's best of three. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was kind of like, oh, you know what? Maybe we can get, you know, there's a lot of, you know, top Americans in the mix, but on the clay, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, never mind. Well, how'd we do? How'd we do with our rankings here with the American side? Uh, I thought that was good. I like, right. I mean, I stand by everything I said. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I love, you know, your your deep cuts. So that was pretty good. That's stuff that I had, you know, not on my radar whatsoever. So uh, yeah, I like it. Nice. Team, uh, Team America. Yeah. Oh, All right. Well, that kind of wraps up that talking point for us. Um, I'll run through some of the other results from the past week. We already mentioned uh, Del Rey Open. Um, There's three other tournaments you had in Doha. Uh, Iga uh, beats Rabakana. Uh, she was down 3-1 in head-to-head, so good for her to get one back on Rabakana. That's a type of game that she uh, struggles with, that power game. So yep. um, kind of even in the score a little bit. Um, Pliskova was forced to uh, withdraw in the semifinals and did not get the opportunity to play Iga. I think that's just multiple weeks of deep runs yeah. and tournaments kind of catching up to her because she was right back out there um, today, I believe. So a um, little bit of scheduling drama in that tournament um, for Kazakina specifically. She yeah. played a three-hour semifinal match versus uh, uh, Haddad Maya in Abu Dhabi. Then the final against Rabakana on Sunday and then plays a first-round match in Doha against Pavla Chankova, um, which she loses. And, you know, she definitely uh, did not shy away from voicing her opinion about the scheduling there. Three matches in a row, traveling. Yeah, yeah not not ideal on the WTA scheduling side there. No, there's just so many tournaments. It's, uh, it's nuts. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, two other tournaments on the men's side in Rotterdam. Sinner continues to roll. He beats Demonar. Demonar has just been super impressive. Even just being there, I think he moved up to number nine in the world yep. now, um, bumping Fritz down to 10. Um, Sinner moves up to number three in the world uh, with Medvedev sitting out. Uh, still no Medvedev, it looks like, at least until Indian Wells. Um, Sinner now ties Alcaraz with 12 titles. Yeah. Uh, they're both 12 and four in ATP finals. A uh, <laughs> lot of conversation lately about has Sinner leveled the playing field against, or at least drew, you know, become even uh, yeah. on paper with Alcaraz and definitely a case to be made for that in the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, we'll see how the season plays out, but yeah, you're right on the numbers. It's like, wow, they, you know, when it, cause you kind of think it's like, okay, well, Alcaraz has two slams. But, like, if you think of the U.S. Open, like, they, they play that epic five-setter where if you think, like, if Yannick wins that five-setter, does he beat Casper Ruud in the final? Probably. True. I didn't and then think it's about just, that. It's flipped, and then Sinner's got two. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's interesting. This is uh, – I'm, I'm really happy that the rivalry is is panning, panning yeah. out to what, it's, to what we've been expecting, basically. If Sinner played Alcaraz at Indian Wells in a couple of weeks, how much would you pay for that ticket? 
Oh my god. <laughs> whatever they want. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever they want. <laughs> um wow. Yeah, cuz uh the seating would be yeah, he would be two and then uh Sinner would be three, right? If if everyone shows. Uh Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> um one more from last week in Buenos Aires. You had the hometown hero, Acosta, getting his first ATP title at age 23. Didn't drop a set whole tournament. Um, beats Nico Jari in the final. He makes a career high of 59. Um, only other note from that one that I had was uh, Jari upset Alcarez, who was the defending yep. champion um, in the semifinals. Um Alcarez still hasn't won a single title since Wimbledon. Um, And uncharacteristic uh, at Deuce in the, uh, at what ended up being the, uh, the the last game of that match um, loses the point to go to uh, advantage Nico Jari. And he throws his racket across the court. Uh, Wasn't played. I had to find the replay because I saw a couple posts on Twitter about it. Um, yeah, nobody really mentioned that, but pretty uncharacteristic of Alcaraz there. Yeah, I, I missed that. Uh, yep. Interesting. They, mm-hmm. they buried an Alcaraz outburst. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. was that. Did you see that thing going around of like the big three, like racket, racket smashes? Oh, yeah, of course. Career? It's like, who's, oh, you posted it, actually. I, yes. Yeah, I found the account that did that, but my, that's, I mean... Fine, I'll take the numbers at heart. Who went back and was counted? That? How did you? How does anybody do That's that? Insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, wow, interesting. Yeah, um, Alcaraz is gonna. He's entering a potential tricky part of the year. He's got a ton of points to defend from Indian Wells all the way up until Rome, basically, because it yeah. felt like he was either in the semis or the final or won the tournament in everything he played. So. Um, if uh, he continues to kind of struggle and not put up uh, big results, he could potentially drop, not out of the top 10 or anything, but maybe to five, six, who knows? Um, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, well, he starts defending some points um, this week in yep. Rio uh, in Brazil at an ATP 500. Um, he's the one seed there, but uh, Nori is the defending champ as the two seed. Um, another clay court tournament, I have that written down here, because I, mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting to make the decision to be playing on clay for these couple of weeks when you have uh, a little bit of a hard court swing coming up with the sunshine double. I don't know, yeah. you know, scheduling um, choices. That's a whole conversation in itself. Um, he, but a friend of mine, uh, Lior, he FaceTimed me this morning. He lives in New York. He was just driving and it was like a random call, but like uh, he mentioned to me and I totally forgot about this. Um, that was Alcaraz's first tournament win, or like ATP level, which is down in Rio, I think. I don't know if you remember, mm. a couple of years ago, he was kind of skinny. He had like this crazy arm bandage situation going on. And that's like where he won his first title, like way back, you know, it, I mean, we're talking three years ago. It seems like way back when, mm-hmm. and then obviously went down there last year to just get matches in after being injured. So, um, yeah, I mean, he said he always has a good time down there and it kind of makes sense. It's like, all right, he's got great memories, first ATP title down there. So, uh, yeah. why not? Something I didn't even remember until my buddy called me this morning and told me, I was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense now. Yeah. Interesting. Um, we also had a, a couple other uh, matches or tournaments on the ATP side. Um, you have in Doha, uh, Rublev's the one seed there. Medvedev was the defending champ, but he is um, continuing his uh, his 
four weeks of rest and relaxation or whatever he wants to call it here. (laughs) Uh, Good for him. Uh, Getting ready for Indian Wells where he hates the surface. So um, (laughs) uh, the other ATP event that's happening this week is in Los Cabos, which I still haven't been to in Mexico. Um, I want to get down there. Uh, Sitsipas is the defending champ and the two seeds. Varev is the one seed. Um, I've heard good things about the Los Cabos tournament, uh, but they don't, they, they, it's kind of a strange one because they start the matches at like 4 PM because the humidity yeah. is just constantly at like 105,000%. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's 80 degrees and humid there. So, um, yeah, I still haven't been down there yet. Yeah, that's, uh, that, I think that that's like an underrated one. If you're living in like Southern California to get down to, uh, same, I, uh, actually, I got a message randomly from, uh, someone that's, uh, I think a ball girl or something is like hey i'm down here like are you gonna be here mm-hmm. like this is amazing it's like first experience of like and i was like oh that's that's so cool like good for you yeah. um but uh yeah that's uh yeah there's a lot i have to pick and choose my ball watch this week i i don't know what i'm gonna do yeah <laughs> um and then on the women's side uh you got back-to-back masters events here so um they're playing in dubai uh, Krajikova is the defending champ, but she unfortunately had to pull out citing a back injury. Um, Osaka also pulls out, um, just seems like maybe the wear and tear, a lot of tennis. She didn't really say a specific injury. I don't think, uh, maybe she just kind of wants to get ready for coming out here and, and playing in California where she lives and coming to Indian Wells. So, um, Iga is the one seed. Uh, and, uh, I believe, I don't know if the match happened yet today, but she got Sloan Stevens, uh, in the first round or the second round, um, which is, you know, pretty strong first, first round match there. Yeah. Um, so the plan next week for us, yes. uh, we've been teasing it up for a while. Um, just really wanted to get all of our ducks in a row, but, um, we're going to be recording, uh, probably in the next few days here, our tips for Indian Wells. Uh, we've been talking about all the stuff happening in Southern California over the next, uh, three or four weeks, uh, a lot of stuff that overlaps. Um, we are going to give you our tips for Indian Wells, some of the other smaller events that are happening in the area. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll try to get that one out to you as soon as possible, just for anybody looking to get out there or kind of know what's happening in the Southern California tennis scene. We got you. Yeah. Yeah. Now's the time. Cause if you don't do it now, they're gone for the year, basically. Yeah. That's <laughs> Unless right. you want to make it out to the East coast later in the year, but that's a little bit rougher. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I did want to thank everybody that's been tuning in and listening. Um, great response from everybody going to keep it going. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. We'll give you our tips on Indian Wells. All right, man. That's a good one. I'll see you then. See ya. Oh, stop it. Just